You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist. Technology developed so quickly that some items once considered indispensable are now obsolete. And I'm not talking about technology from from centuries ago, I'm talking about technology from a couple decades ago. Things that I grew up with like VHS tapes or slide projectors and missionary presentations. Remember those? Click, click, click. Hard copy dictionaries. I think my freshman year of college, a hard copy dictionary was one of the required textbooks. Uh, Phone books, landlines, paper maps, all of these things, you may have a couple of these hanging around, but they're, they're outdated. Discernment, however, is not outdated, nor is it obsolete. And yet I'm afraid that at a time where the need for discernment is at an all-time high, the use of discernment is at an all-time low. And I'm not talking about the culture at large. I'm talking about Christians, Christians here in America. American Christianity will be known for many, many things, but discernment, I'm afraid, will not be one of them. We need discernment more than ever, yet far too many Christians don't know what discernment is, let alone practice it in their everyday lives. Here are just a few examples of situations that call for discernment to give you kind of an illustration of how necessary this skill, this spiritual skill is. Two young men in white dress shirts appear on your front step and they want to talk about the Bible. They're really engaging and they have some Interesting things to say that you've never heard before. And they call themselves the witnesses of Jehovah. And though they're really nice, something just doesn't quite feel right. You need discernment to separate truth from error. Your child is invited to play in an all-star sports league, but the games are on Sundays for two months. Is missing that much church a big deal? What are you teaching your kids by saying yes or by saying no? You need discernment to correctly prioritize the good from the best. Teenagers, when you f- what do you do when a friend sends you a link to a social media channel that they say has helped them with their anxiety? Listen to this guy. He talks about anxiety and it's been really helpful for me. How do you know if what that influencer, what that celebrity is saying is true, is right, or is wrong? You need discernment to see if you should listen to this or reject this. Singles, you go out on a date with an attractive, nice person. And then there's a second date and then a third date, but then by that point you realize that they're, they're not a believer. But you really like them and they're fun to be around. Is it okay to keep going out with them? You need discernment to know and apply God's will. How about this? Your family schedule is jammed full. Kids in multiple sports plus music lessons and after school clubs. Dad has gone most Saturdays with the guys and mom has two nights out a week for her hobby. And a pastor catches you after church one Sunday and, and, and asks you to consider serving in a ministry here. You're swamped, but you're not serving anywhere else. You need discernment to know what to say no to. To say no to serving or the schedule. Which is fine and which is best. Your retirement age is fast approaching. You feel good physically, but you don't know how long you want to work. When do you retire? 
And what do you do after you're retired? <laughs> That's a, just as big of a question. You need discernment to know what the right time is, to know when to retire and where to invest your time after you make that choice. One more. Your elderly parent or spouse has memory issues. You thought you'd never put them in a facility. But now you're overwhelmed. You don't feel like that you can care for them to the needs that they have. You need discernment to make the best, most caring decision. We need discernment more than ever. And to gain this skill of discernment, you need to know what it is, understand how to exercise it, and then actually practice it. I can help you with the first two this morning, and my goal is that by the time that we're done here, you would have at least an introduction to this topic of what discernment is and, and understand at least the process or steps by which you can exercise it. Whole books have been written about this. We're not going to be able to get to everything there is to say. But ultimately, I can't choose to do the third thing for you. You have to commit to exercising it, to implementing this tool in your life. But that's been the nature of my prayer this week. That as I prepared and as our pastoral staff prayed, we've been asking the Lord to give us discernment, to grant us discernment that we would exercise this tool. So let's, let's build toward a definition of discernment by first seeing the parts of discernment. What is, if we were to take discernment and break it into its individual parts, what would there be there? What would we find? First, we would see that discernment is wisdom applied to choices. The book of Proverbs has about 10 different verses on discernment. Sometimes it talks about discretion. It's referring to the same quality. And Proverbs repeatedly links discernment to wisdom. Interestingly, wisdom and understanding are always listed before discernment. This shows us that discernment is a subset of wisdom. To practice discernment, you need to be wise. Proverbs 5, 1 and 2, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion or discernment and that your lips may keep knowledge. Proverbs 16, 21, the wise of heart is called discerning. Wise people know how to make good choices. Well, the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, knew a thing or two about wisdom. If he were a superhero and wisdom were his superpower, then 1 Kings 3 would be his origin story. You say that's a goofy illustration. It is, but I thought it was kind of fun. So 1 Kings 3 talks about how Solomon became the wisest man who ever lived. Let me set it up for you. 1 Kings 3, God appears to Solomon in a dream after Solomon has just become king. And God says to him, what shall I give you? What an opportunity. We'd like God to appear in a dream to us and say that too, wouldn't we? What should I give you? And Solomon demonstrates the right response. He says this, therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He asks for an understanding heart. He's asking God for wisdom for the purpose of leading and judging the people well. To make right decisions, to lead this great nation that God has given to him. He wants discernment to do what God has called him to do. How does God respond? God is pleased with the request, the passage says. 
So God gives Solomon discernment. 1 Kings 3.12 says this, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. So discernment is not just wisdom applied to choices. We see in this passage that it's given by God. God is the source of all wisdom. And knowledge of the holy, Proverbs 1-7, leads us to wisdom. This is confirmed in the New Testament in James 1-5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So the, the, the promise of discernment is this. God will give it to you if you ask in faith. God will give it to you if you ask in faith. Now, when God gives it to you, this this wisdom, this skill, you have to exercise it. Discernment is a skill that is developed through practice. Like every other gift that God gives to us, we have a responsibility to develop it by putting it to use. If God has given you an ability to teach, you don't start teaching and have it all figured out. You have to exercise that gift. It's the same for serving or leading or ministering. Whatever gift God has given to you, you have a responsibility to develop it, to cultivate it, to grow it. It's the same thing with discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's think about this verse for a moment. The word trained includes a disciplined regimen of exercise to develop something. When you decide to go run a marathon, for instance, not that any of you would be crazy enough to do that, but if you chose to do that, you would need a disciplined regimen. You can't just walk out the door today, put on your running shoes, and go run 26 miles. You have to have a process to develop the skill the ability to run. So that means that your ability to discern can be developed. And that gives us hope. Because if you're not great at this, you don't have to be stuck there forever. In fact, if you want to be mature, you are commanded to grow in this. How can you develop your ability to discern? By exercise, by practice. Practice means you repeatedly do something over and over to to build a habit or develop a skill I can give you illustration after illustration of how to do that, but I think you understand it. How do we practice discernment? The verse says this, by chewing on biblical teaching, solid food is for the mature. Those who have engaged their thinking, their wisdom abilities to reckon with the truth of God's word and apply it to their lives. As we know the word and apply it, we exercise our skill of discernment and therefore The result of exercising discernment is that it it becomes really a mark of spiritual maturity. And this is right back here in Hebrews 5.14. A mature believer is one who does what? It's one who exercises discernment. They've trained themselves to distinguish good and evil by making right choices on a consistent basis. So the four parts of discernment are right here. And this last one really is is a challenge to us because it it teaches us a very simple truth that mature Christians are discerning Christians. If you lack discernment, you can't be considered a mature Christian. Undiscerning Christians 
are immature Christians. You will remain a spiritual infant or spiritual toddler if you do not grow in discernment. Here's what I'm driving at. Christians who don't discern don't grow up. And I don't say that to, to, be, to be judgmental. I say that to lay out for you an important step towards spiritual maturity. If your goal is to become like Christ, if your goal is to grow in spiritual maturity, then you will need to learn how to discern. We've used the illustration several times that spiritual progress is like growing up from a spiritual infant to being a self-feeder to being an other's feeder. Well, discernment is a major part of growth. Young children eat all the wrong things. If you take a two-year-old out to the playground or out to a park, what will they put in their mouths? Literally everything. I have a two-year-old. Literally everything. And so you're, you're telling your child or the, the infant that you're watching not to put bugs or dirt or Legos in their mouths. And yet at the same time, these little ones who are undiscerning are putting all these things in their mouth, yet you put like good food in front of them. And what do they do with that? They don't want it. We have an epic video of a couple of our boys that have literally butter noodles hanging out of their mouth and they're crying because they don't want it. You're like, it's, it's buttered noodles. Just eat it. Like, why is this such a big deal? Well, they're undiscerning. And no, that didn't happen last week, thankfully. As a child grows up, they learn to eat what's edible and what's not. And it's the same way spiritually. Spiritual infants don't know what to eat either. They don't know if the teaching that they're hearing is spoiled milk or nutritious. They don't know that if the choice they're making will help them or hurt them. To grow up spiritually, discernment has to kick in. So just as learning to choose what's good is a necessary part of human growth and development, it's a vital part of spiritual development. Christians who don't discern don't grow up. So that's what discernment is made of. Now let's consider the purpose of discernment. Why should we practice it? What goals do we seek with it? What's, what's the big deal about it anyway? And the first purpose, the first goal of discernment is to glorify God. Now there are three goals I'm gonna mention for time's sake, we'll, we'll kind of have to run through the first two and then we'll park a little bit more in the third. But the biggest goal in this whole process is to identify what choice will honor God and glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that in whatever we're doing, whether we're eating or drinking, in everything we are to bring glory to God. Sometimes it's obvious what glorifies God. Most of the time it's not obvious. When that is the case, we need to practice discernment so that we make choices that glorify God. The second purpose is to grow into the image of Christ. The Christian life is our opportunity, our privilege of becoming more and more like our Savior. To think like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus like an artist who is painting a landscape and has to make thousands of small decisions about colors and, and textures and, and just, I don't know anything about painting, but I'm guessing here. Uh, they have to make hundreds of decisions to make sure what they're putting on that piece of paper reflects the subject matter. We as mature Christians have to make hundreds and thousands of small, seemingly insignificant choices that will eventually add up 
to result in us resembling Christ. Anyone seeking a specific goal has to make choices that fit into that goal. It's the same way spiritually. But third, the third purpose of discernment and the most immediate purpose is to make the right or the best decision. In a situation in front of us with a choice that we have to make as we walk through life to glorify God and resemble Christ, we need to make the best and the right choices. Last week I mentioned that Tim Challies has written a book on discernment, and I put this definition up, I'll, I'll repeat it again for you, because he emphasizes this component of discernment, of making the right or the best decision. He says this, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. So you see there at the end of his definition, he's talking about separating truth from error, right from wrong. Because discernment helps us to make the right decision. In some situations, there will be a clear right and wrong. Every Christian that faces that will come out on the same side of the road. Even our culture recognizes the importance of this. You say, how so? Well, we can debate the politics of fake news and fact-checking, but I think all of us would agree that fake news, that untruth, that lies do not build and breed a healthy society. Now, the irony is that our culture claims on the one hand that truth is relative, and then on the other hand has whole departments of newspapers doing fact-checking. They haven't figured out yet that those two claims are incompatible. The fact that there are fact-checkers means that there is something true that we need to be after. Let me give you an example of separating truth from error and right from wrong that you may face. Let's say a Christian friend of yours enthusiastically recommends a TV show. You look it up later that week, but realize that yes, it has high ratings, but it also is rated mature for nudity and fornication. Is this a show that Christians should watch? I mean, I feel like this one's really obvious. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's not. Ephesians 5 Three through four. This is just one passage we could go to. It says that these things should not be named among us. This seems pretty obvious to me, but yet it was shocking, and it is shocking, at how many Christians love the TV show Game of Thrones. If you've not heard of it, don't look it up. This TV show has a highly mature rating for language, violence, sexual content, and graphic nudity. Am I missing something here? Is that a show that Christians should be watching? Are those values the ones that Christians are called to embrace? How, how much sin are we willing to put up with to be entertained? Let's ask the, the question in biblical terms. How much sin will help you grow in holiness? Um, none. This is a great example of what Hebrews 5.14 is saying, that discernment is the mark of a mature believer. You can't ingest filth and walk away in purity. You can't live as the world and resemble Christ at the same time, James 4. If you want to be entertained, watch a show like that. If you want to live like Christ, reject it. Discernment kicks in to separate truth from error and right from wrong. But discernment also helps us to separate good from best and average from excellent. There are some situations, I would even say most situations, that are not clear cut. 
The choice is between better and best, good and excellent. And that's what makes discernment so difficult. Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said this. Discernment is not just knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. If you're navigating an airplane and you're one degree off, you're almost right. You're really close. But over a thousand miles later, you will be really wrong. You will not end up in Seattle. You'll end up in San Francisco, which are hundreds of miles apart. And there are many factors that go into a decision that, that helps us to determine what's best. And, and we'll get to those factors here in a moment. But, but I do want to say this, that best may be different depending on the situation. Better and best may be different for some Christians than for others. Let me give you a couple of examples. A family with young children may make a decision about entertainment or vacation destinations or school choices Yet 10 years later, the same family may make a different decision on the same issue. What happened? The situation changed. What was best for the family changed. How about this? When you get into your mid-60s, I'm told that you'll have to make a decision about health care. Medicare, Medicaid, which plan to do, when do I get on, how long do I wait? There are a whole lot of options, a whole lot of choices. In fact, some would say too many choices. Well, what is best for one person or one couple may not be necessarily best for another. That's why discernment requires wisdom. It's not a one-size-fits-all mold that we plug in and it spits out the same answer for everyone. Yes, there are times that there is truth and error and we all agree to follow the truth. But there are many times in life where best is not the same for each person. And as an aside, that's also why we have to practice Christian charity. Romans 14 and 15 were written to help us to deal with one another in a way that is not judgmental or condescending when a believer makes a different choice over these issues that are not right or wrong, they're gray matters. Discernment requires wisdom, practice, and careful thought. So at this point, we can define discernment. Spiritual discernment is the God-given ability developed by practice to apply wisdom, I would even say God's wisdom to a situation in order to glorify God and become more like Christ by making the right or best decision. Now I apologize, both definitions I put up here, Tim Challies and then this one, are a little bit wordy, but I think they capture exactly what is going on. Discernment is given from God to us, just like wisdom is given from God to us, spiritual discernment. There are some people that have natural discernment. That's not quite the same thing. Spiritual discernment is given by God. Hebrews 5 says that it's developed as we exercise it, developed as we practice it. And what are we practicing? We're applying God's wisdom to the situation we face for specific purposes, not just so that we can be most comfortable or get the best result for me, but so that we can glorify God, that we can become more like Christ. And we do that by making the right or the best decision. To exercise spiritual discernment then, to do what this definition says and calls us to do, there are two prerequisites. Our ability to discern rises and falls on these two things, okay? And as I was glancing through the outline, this is the place where we could probably take a whole message and talk about each one of these subpoints. 
So they are going to be a little bit more quick hitting. You'll just have to bear with the introductory nature of a message like this. But if you want to explore more, you want to study how to know the truth. The first prerequisite to discernment is to know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, you will struggle to make the right choice. Remember what the definition of discernment is? Right there on the screen? To apply wisdom to a situation to make the right or the best choice. If you don't know the truth, how are you going to be able to make the right choice? You can't. You can't. Tim Challies writes in his book, discernment can only exist where the truth is affirmed because the, the truth is our anchor, our reference point, the standard by which we compare everything. Christians who know their Bibles and know their Savior will develop discernment. They will know more and more what does and does not please Christ. There are endless permutations of error. There are Millions and millions of ways that we can twist the truth or make bad choices, but there's only one truth. It's God's truth. And so if you focus on knowing the truth, you will be able to apply what you know to any situation you face. So my brothers and sisters, know the truth. Don't waste your time chasing other things. Simply invest your heart and your soul into knowing this book and the God who wrote it. Know the truth. The rise of our ignorance here in our culture, the lack of discernment being shown, directly correlates with the fact that our Christians don't know our Bibles anymore. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. Is it any wonder then that discernment is at an all-time low? No, it's not. Know your Bible, know your God, know your identity, know the real stuff. And when you know the real stuff, spotting the counterfeit becomes that much easier. But the other prerequisite that's a little bit more subtle is this. You don't just know the truth. You love the truth. That's the secret of discernment. How so? Let's think about this for a minute. Discernment comes when you love the truth because love is the motive that drives your practice of discernment. You must desire the truth so much that you can't put up with error. You desire best so much you don't want to settle for average. You treasure Jesus so much that you will not settle for anything less than him. He is the best. He is the greatest discerning Christians then have a supreme love for Christ. To put it in the language of Colossians that we've been talking about, discerning Christians have made Christ their treasure. And as you exalt your treasure and know your treasure, you become far less interested in all the fake treasures out there. The deeper you walk with Christ, the more you taste his glory, the more you experience his fullness, the more satisfied with him you become and the less desire you have for other things. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. That's the whole message of that little passage. Jesus is sufficient and he is supreme and therefore you're complete in him. You don't need anything else. Love for Jesus is the engine of discernment. This is Paul's point in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And, and this is a prayer of Paul. I cut half of it off. 
And if you want to study this out further, I would commend to you Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Paul says, in this I pray, and what is he praying? That your love may abound more and more in two things, in knowledge and discernment. He's praying that your love may grow so much that you love the truth and know how to exercise discernment. So that for the purpose of approving excellent things. What leads to greater knowledge and greater discernment and approving excellent things? It's an increase in love. Greater love equals greater discernment. How how is that true? As simply as I can put it, your desires, what you want, and what you love steer your choices. Your desires steer your choices. Wanting to lose weight means that you will exercise and won't eat that junk. Two things I'm not doing right now. Wanting to pass your college classes, as several of you did this week, means that you will study and you won't blow off your assignments. You will choose to pursue what you want, what you desire, what you love. The result of discernment is that you approve then things that are excellent. So after putting the choice to the test, you have the ability to determine what the best and what the excellent thing is. And my friends, this is the calling of the Christian life. The calling of the Christian life isn't just to come on church for a couple hours on Sunday in the morning and then go live like everybody else during the week. The calling of the Christian life is to pursue things that are excellent. And what is excellent? It's the virtue of Christ, the glories of our Savior. We are called to excellence, and yet our hearts are so content with mediocrity. This means that if we don't practice discernment, it's like we've told Jesus we don't love him enough to make choices that please him. If we don't practice discernment, it's like we've told Jesus, I actually don't love you enough, my Savior, to make a choice that honors you. When Christ is treasured, all of our energy and love and devotion is poured into gaining a fuller experience of this treasure. Anything that tarnishes our treasure or distances ourselves from him is avoided, is rejected. Loving the truth is the secret to discernment. And so as we exercise discernment, as we grow in it, we have to know the truth, but you have to love it. You have to love it. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit's ministry in our hearts is that when we humble ourselves before him and say, God, I don't do this. I repent. I change my thinking. I confess it to you. He enters and he begins the miraculous process of taking people that are formerly of darkness and making us children of the light. So if this does not describe you, tell him that. Confess it to him. He already knows. And ask him for his grace to develop discernment. Let's hasten now to the final point that lays out the process of discernment. With all that we've got kind of in the theory, let's put it into practice. How do we practice discernment? How do we exercise it? And there are three simple steps. There there are a whole lot more, but I'm trying to keep it streamlined for you. Three steps to exercise discernment. First is you prayerfully assess the situation. And discernment can be applied to a whole bunch of things. It can be applied to choices you have to make. 
It can be applied to things that you hear, like the Bereans who went in Acts and studied the word and compared what Paul was teaching them to what they heard. That's discernment. It could be things that you're hearing out in the culture. Discernment applies in a broad variety of, of places. But it all starts with prayer. It all starts by asking God for his insight and help because he does what? He's the one who gives wisdom and discernment in the first place, right? So if he gives that discernment, that wisdom, and he knows the situation, and he knows your heart, and he knows the plans that he has for you, then you cannot discern well without his help. To assess the situation then, you understand what's going on. That may require you to study relevant scriptures, to gain more information about the different options, to seek counsel perhaps. Many bad choices are made when we don't understand the options. This weekend, Kate and I had a a couple of decisions that we needed to make about next school year, and we did this. We prayed. We assessed. We talked about it. I actually said to her, I'm not comfortable with this because of this, this, and this. So we went and sought out more information. And then we practiced these next choices and then came to a decision. Understanding the situation, gaining more information, even seeking counsel and listening to what other people say, that's helpful. And sometimes that that takes a little humility on our part, doesn't it? To say, hey, I'm not sure what to do here. I need some help. And invite that other person to enter into your situation to think through it with you. After you've prayerfully assessed the situation, you then test it by weighing choices. This is what Romans 12, 2 is talking about. That by testing, you may discern the will of God. Test and approve. Test and approve. Think of yourself as a news reporter, finding out information about a subject or conducting an interview, asking questions of the situation, trying to forecast the effects of that decision. And this, again, is not an exhaustive list, but here are five questions that will help you begin this process of discernment. I'll try not to move too quickly so you can jot them down if you're taking notes. These will hopefully lend you a biblical perspective to reframe a decision. First, does this violate Scripture? It's an easy question. Because if it violates Scripture, don't do it. It has to pass this test before even being considered for the next four questions. I used an illustration about a TV show. It doesn't pass the biblical test. It's gone. Second, not only does it, not, does it violate Scripture, does it or which option will align with scriptural values? Does it align with what the Bible teaches? It, if there isn't a specific command about this, does the Bible give guidance through principles or through examples? All things were written for our admonition. Being aligned with Scripture goes beyond the thou shalt and thou shalt not. But it, it basically says, what is the logic or the argument of Scripture, and how can I think like the Bible does, and then apply that to my situation? Will vacationing in the mountains lead to your spiritual ruin? Probably not. But could faithfulness to the mountains affect your faithfulness to worship? Which activity does Scripture place more value on? Third, does it or which one will promote greater Christ-likeness? So this goes beyond the surface, right? Since our goal is to become like Christ, a major component, a major aspect of our thinking has to be to choose things that help us with this goal. Ask yourself, excuse me, ask yourself, 
does this thing in front of me, does this choice, this belief, this, this decision, lead me to greater o- obedience of Scripture or encourage disobedience? Will it support godly living and spiritual growth? Or will it push me into worldly living and spiritual apathy? If Christ is your goal, these questions will help you discern. Fourth, what effect will this decision have on my life? What direction will it steer my heart? There are so many choices we make without considering the effects that it'll have on our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues, the springs of life. And yet, if it doesn't violate a biblical command, we run to do it instead of thinking, what effect does it have on my heart? Think through the outcomes. Project the consequences of your choice. Will you grow in grace and add the fruit of the Spirit, or will you feed the flesh and hinder yourself from developing Christ-like character? You may not find a clear-cut command of Scripture that applies here, but questions like this clarify what the decision will do to us and in us. Because these things that we choose to do, these beliefs that we have, shape us and mold us. Fifth, will this choice sacrifice a greater priority for a lesser? One of my mentors said, we never sacrifice best on the altar of good. We never sacrifice best on the altar of good. Well, how do you know which is best and which is good? That's what discernment is all about. For example, if deciding between jobs, will one require me to work on Sundays and miss church? Would you be willing to take less money to have Sundays free for worship? You could argue that that you have to work because you should. The Bible says you have to provide for your family. But Christians are called not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So which is the greater priority, work or worship? There are several of you I know that work overnight, come to church. Others of you that that work right after church because you've carved out time to come worship. That's exactly right. There is a pecking order of biblical priorities And if we don't recognize that, then we won't make wise choices. We won't make best choices. We may walk through our lives making good choices, but miss out on best. So after we test by weighing choices, we then render a verdict. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 commands us to test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So when you test something, there are three options. Number one, either you approve and adhere to or cling to what is right and best. If it's right, you can do it. If it's best, do it. When we grow in love and practice discernment, we approve what is excellent. That's what Philippians 1.10 said. Second, we abstain from or reject what is not best or right. If it's wrong, we reject it. If it's not best for your family, for yourself in that situation, to help you glorify God, to help you become more like Christ, then you don't do it. If something violates scripture, you walk away from it. But what about those things that may not be best? Well, perhaps you reject something permanently, but perhaps you also abstain for a season. Either way, you've come to a decision based on scriptural values. But what happens if you walk through this process and realize that you have multiple options that are good? That does happen from time to time. Well, I've got 
I've got two vehicles here that I could buy. They both check out. Which one do I pick? Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. If Christ is your treasure and you have honestly tried to assess and weigh the choices based on their spiritual value and you come to a decision where two options are both approved, then pick one. Choose which one you like. You're allowed to have preferences. The problem is when people start here and work backwards. That's the issue. When they say, I have two choices, I like this one better, I'm going to pick it. That's the wrong way to go through it. This is the final step on purpose, the step that we arrive at only after we work through the others. And as I mentioned before, this process applies to many different situations. Let's wrap up, though, with a quick case study. And uh, Nathan Scott last week mentioned this uh, on Sunday night, and I thought, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to use that. He said this, this, this is a belief that many Christians have swallowed without thinking. My main prayer request is for God to fix my problems and make me comfortable. That sounds nice, doesn't it? That God exists to, to fix my problems and make me comfortable. That sounds good, but is it biblical? Well, let's put it to the test. Here are the questions. And I slapped all five of them up so I can move quickly, Okay. Does this prayer violate scripture or align with scripture? Is it true that God has the ability to change situations and fix problems? Yes. Yes, God does. But is it God's main goal in life in fixing my problems so that I have a physically comfortable life? Actually, no. The invitation to follow Jesus is a call to deny ourselves and take up our cross. What is God most concerned with? Is it my physical comfort? Is it my material affluence? God is most concerned with my spiritual condition, my conformity to Christ. Second, does this prayer promote greater Christ-likeness? No, because we end up worshiping comfort and seeking comfort and sometimes sacrificing Christ to gain it. Does Jesus call us to do hard things sometimes? Does he call us to walk through valleys where we feel like the world is crushing in around us? Yeah. So if our comfort is our God, our God has just forsaken us. But when Jesus is your God, our shepherd walks through those valleys with us. Third, which direction will this prayer steer my heart? Well, <laughs> this, this prayer has the opposite effect of a biblical prayer. Biblical prayers revolve around our growth in the faith and gospel advance. This prayer, making me comfortable, sets my mind on earthly things. It focuses primarily with the stuff of this life rather than the growth of my character or the progress of Christ's kingdom. Fourth, will this choice sacrifice a greater priority for a lesser? Actually, yes. Is comfort a problem? It, it's actually not a problem. We don't go looking for discomfort, okay? But is comfort the greatest priority? We've already seen that no, it is not. The greatest priority is Christ's likeness, even at the expense of our comfort, because sometimes God is producing in us a weight of glory through our present affliction. Fifth, does this prayer align with scriptural values? No. This quote by D.A. Carson sums it up. When we study the scriptures, we quickly learn that God is more interested in our holiness than in our comfort. 
He more greatly delights in the integrity and purity of his church than in the material well-being of its members. He shows himself more to the men and women whose horizons revolve around good jobs, nice houses, and reasonable health. He is more deeply committed to stretching our faith than our popularity. He prefers that his people live in disciplined gratitude and holy joy rather than in pushy self-reliance and glitzy happiness. He wants us to pursue daily death, not self-fulfillment, for the latter leads to death while the former leads to life. So let's render a verdict. The verdict is this. I think we have to avoid this prayer in favor of more biblical ones. Instead, why shouldn't we pray for our love to deepen in knowledge and discernment? Pray that, that we learn to approve excellent things. Pray that you and others around you will be filled by the Spirit and holy in character and godly in lifestyle. Pray that you will be filled with all spiritual fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, and pray that God would be glorified in you. That's a biblical prayer because it's Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Learning a new skill always feels weird at first. It's like learning how to write with your opposite hand. It feels clunky. You have to think about it. But as you practice discernment, you will grow in your ability to do this. It may feel awkward and clunky, but, but as you seek to obey the Lord, he'll be glorified in it. Christ will be exalted. Your love will deepen. Your spiritual maturity will ripen, and you will grow in your ability to discern. And that is a call that we cannot refuse. Let's ask the Lord for help to do this. Father in heaven, we are sobered at the, the responsibility we have in front of us. We could argue that no generation before us has faced the onslaught of, of choices that, that even the internet has just made, a, made possible to us. And so the need for discernment is, is just at an all-time high. And, and we're, we're very needy people, Lord. We need discernment. We need wisdom that comes from above. And so we ask that you'll give it, knowing in faith that you will. Bless us and bless each one as they try to apply that, that those that walk out wanting to be doers, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them as they walk through these things week after week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoy this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make him known. May God bless you as you follow him.